0: Donald Trump supporters actually really like Donald Trump. They don't want to hear him criticized. They don't want to hear bad things about him. So as long as Trump is in the media and in the headlines doing controversial things, it's actually very hard for his challengers to ever really make the case for themselves because they're just forced constantly to talk about the things that Trump is doing. Welcome to another episode of America Explained, Podcast that brings the important voices and perspectives shaping American politics, foreign policy, and culture to an international audience. Welcome to another episode of America Explained, the podcast that brings you an international perspective on US politics and foreign policy. Today is another indictment episode. This is becoming like a whole genre of episodes, the Trump indictment, because the guy just gets indicted so many times. This is the second one of these episodes that we're doing this year after trump was indicted under new york state law earlier in the year now he faces a federal indictment there's a chance that another federal indictment and maybe an indictment under georgia law are going to follow later this year but what i want to do in this episode is really talk you through the details of this latest federal indictment talk about the case against trump why it appears to be so strong and so bad for him but then also talk about what the political implications will be will it impact the republican primary will it affect chances of Uh, that, that Trump has been elected next year in the general election. And also, crucially, when is the trial actually going to take place? Because if it doesn't take place until after next year's election, then Trump might be president again, and then he can pardon himself. So, there's all kinds of unknowables and, and things to unpack with this indictment. If you enjoy listening to America Explained, please tell a friend about the show to help us grow. Please also consider subscribing to the America Explained newsletter. Doing so brings you posts, usually twice a week, about US politics and foreign policy direct to your inbox. If you subscribe using the link in the show notes to this episode, then you receive 15% off your subscription forever. Over a thousand people now enjoying the America Explained newsletter if you become one of them, then it really helps to support this podcast. It supports the creation of the newsletter and helps me to bring you all of this great content. So Trump has been indicted under the espionage act. That sounds really bad, right? Now, it doesn't mean that he actually committed espionage. You know, he didn't like steal some classified information and then purposefully give it to a foreign power, although that is actually something that he did when he was president, when, for instance, he gave classified information to some Russians, which then led Israel to have to pull out one of its human assets from from the field, like an intelligence agent, because they're worried that person was going to be killed. Now, Trump did that when he was president, but presidents can technically declassify anything that they want. So even though he clearly did this in a way that was like careless and and very damaging to, to an American ally, that wasn't actually illegal. Now, what Trump has done in this case since he was president, according to this indictment, isn't that he's given this information to a foreign power, but that he has willfully mishandled in a very reckless manner some of America's most secret secrets. So some of, you know, American secrets that relate to military plans, that relate to nuclear capabilities, that relate to intelligence capabilities and intelligence information from American allies. Donald Trump stole lots of this information when he left the White House, and then when the U.S. government discovered this information was gone and they asked for it back, Trump willfully and, and, and you know, as part of a, a scheme, tried to hide and obscure this information from the government. He didn't want to give it back and actually one of his aides, a guy called Willie noter has also been indicted as part of this scheme because this guy was cooperating with him and helping him to hide the information. So Donald Trump really wanted to hold on to this intelligence information. Now it's not completely clear why. Was it just because he thinks the rules don't apply to him and it helped his ego to have this information around? and and to be able to show it off to his buddies. That's possible. That seems to me the most likely explanation. It's also possible that he wanted to somehow use this information as leverage to perhaps sell it or use it to gain influence over other people, but there's no direct evidence for that. But what we do know is that Trump has been showing this information to people. So according to the indictment, he showed a highly classified plan for military operations to a writer and some of his staff members and he also did this knowing that he was it was wrong to do it knowing that he shouldn't be giving this information to people so one of the defenses that Trump and people who who like to defend him have used is to say well Trump declassified this information anyway he has the power to show it to whoever he wants even though he's no longer president but Jack Smith the special counsel actually has an audio recording of Trump admitting that he had not declassified this information and that it was not allowed to show it to people. So any defense based on the fact that he really had declassified this or any defense based on saying that he didn't know what he was doing just goes completely out the window with this audio recording because Trump is right there admitting that he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. He also, at one point this was kind of funny, he warned someone don't get too close to the classified material (laughs) as getting too close to it was somehow a problem rather than learning about its highly secret contents. No an additional wrinkle here is that some legal commentators, some people who are experts in this kind of thing, are saying that it's quite likely that actually the information that Trump um, retained and showed to people that's mentioned in this indictment is probably not even the worst of what he did. Because in order for this material to actually be used in court against Trump, it has to be shown to people. It has to be shown to the jury. It has to be shown to lawyers. And it's likely that some of this information that Trump kept is too sensitive to ever be revealed in a court of law. So there are about 13 documents that Trump kept which are not part of this indictment and it's likely just because the secrets they contain are so important and so secret that it would be very very damaging to American national security for them to be revealed in a court of law. But, you know, the Espionage Act says that keeping any of this material, showing any of this material to anybody, has a high likelihood of causing very extreme damage to American national security. So that's what Trump is accused of here under the Espionage Act. He's accused of a very, very, very serious crime. And the evidence that Jack Smith seems to have got together to um, take him to trial seems to be exceptionally strong. So even Donald Trump's former attorney, general. Bill Barr is saying that this is a slam dunk case that Trump is toast if even 50% of this is true. So Trump is in a really, really dire legal situation. Um, If this case goes to court, there's a high likelihood that he's going to be convicted and then he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Now, the case is going to take place in Florida rather than in Washington DC. This means that Trump's likely to have a jury that is somewhat sympathetic to him. Florida is a red state. It's a state with many, many Trump voters. So it's, it's just this really big challenge that when you take someone of Donald Trump's prominence to court, it's very, very hard to get a fair and proper trial because the people in that jury pool are going to have very strong feelings, actually either against him or in favour of him. So. It is possible, maybe, that this trial ends in, like, a hung jury or in some kind of inability to, to reach a decision or inability to find him guilty. But on the basis of the evidence, at least, it does look like a really, really, really bad case for Trump. But I think that what one thing that we need to understand here is that there's actually quite a high likelihood that this case will never go to court at all. So, it's currently June 2023. The presidential election is November 2024 next year. Now, Even in kind of -of run-of-the-mill, normal federal trials, it can easily take a year for the case to actually go to court, and defendants have many tools at their disposal to try to delay a trial, to try to push back the start of it. Trump can use lots of those tools to try to delay this trial until at least the November presidential election of next year, and he could push it quite significantly beyond that as well. So, Among the things that Trump can do is that he can file various legal motions to try to draw things out. He can challenge particular types of evidence that the prosecution is using. He can really draw out the process of what's called discovery, which is when the two sides show one another the episodes, sorry, the the evidence that they plan to use within the trial itself. Getting security clearances for the various lawyers and the jurors and the people who are going to see this evidence, that's going to take time. The judge who's initially been assigned to this case is called Aileen Cannon. She's a Trump appointee who actually oversaw some of the parts of the investigation of this case as well. During that investigation, she issued some very bizarre pro-Trump decisions that had to be overruled by um, other judges, like judges who are higher than her in in the hierarchy. That takes time as well, so she could easily slow it down by various strange maneuvers. Another expedient that Defendants have is simply to fire their lawyers at various stages in the preparation for the trial. They can say, Well, I no longer have confidence in this lawyer anymore, so I'm going to fire him. Now we've got to bring in a new lawyer. We've got to get this guy up to speed on everything. We've got to get him a security clearance. We've got to show him all of the evidence. And that can take a lot of time as well. Now, You can obviously, you can't do this forever, you know, the case has to eventually come before a court. But Trump could easily drag this out until after the election of next year. And if you think about it, he has every single incentive to do that. Because for as long as this is hanging over him, he can use it to mobilize his base. He can use it to say, there's this conspiracy against me that the Democrats and the legal system are out to get me. And that when they come after me, they're really going after you, my voters. And it gives him this tremendous tool for mobilization and and for kind of increasing the fanaticism of his base. And at the same time, there's going to be no new evidence of new allegations or new things that he did wrong coming out during this time. There's just going to be a lot of news about different boring legal motions and maneuvers and rulings by the judge. And that's going to really muddy the waters and, and probably take the sting out of some of this as time goes on. So it's really, really, obvious to me that Trump is going to try to drag this out for as long as possible, and I think that that always also limits the damage that this will do to him, at least in the primary. I think that this makes it easier for him to win the Republican primary. Already there are polls showing that most voters just think that he's the subject of some kind of conspiracy, that the deep state is out to get him, but I think that this does hurt him a lot in the general election, but I mean, Trump does a lot of stuff all the time that hurts him in general elections that helps him with moderate voters and swing voters. So I think it makes him harder, you know, makes it harder for him to win that election against Biden next year, but I don't think it makes it impossible. And then if Trump does win the election next year, he can actually pardon himself probably. So, you know, he could just order the Justice Department to drop these charges against him. He could issue a preemptive pardon of himself and um, for any wrongdoing to do with these documents. Or he could use various other manoeuvres to try and derail the case. Now, that would be a violation of, of, you know, a severe violation of many of the norms that govern the justice system and of presidential power. But hey, when has that ever stopped Donald Trump before? He's done stuff like that all the time. So there's a chance that this might never even see the inside of a courtroom, that this case basically just gets waved away at some point in the future. The same thing could happen in the other federal investigation that Trump faces, which is the one that's also been run by Jack Smith and which is looking at the January 6th insurrection, and Trump efforts to overturn the will of the voters in the 2020 election. You know, that's a federal investigation. Trump also has all of these same tools if he becomes president again, just to wave that away. So it becomes tremendously important once again to beat Donald Trump politically. There's no legal silver bullet here that is going to make Donald Trump go away. There's no legal silver bullet that's going to suddenly diminish his appeal in the eyes of the Republican voters who continue to back him. He has to be beaten politically by mobilizing a coalition to take him down and You know, the only way to actually be sure of getting some kind of legal victory against Trump is in the state cases that have been brought against him. So these cases in New York and in Georgia are things that Donald Trump can't actually pardon himself in. He can't pardon himself in state cases. So those are the best ways of getting some kind of legal redress against Trump for the things that he's done. But these federal cases are going to take a really long time there's no sure outcome here. Another aspect of this that's worth talking about, though, is what's going to happen in the meantime. So, as I'm recording right now, Donald Trump is due to appear in Miami to be arraigned in court today, that's like the initial appearance in court where you hear the charges and enter a plea. I think we know what the plea is going to be, I don't think it's going to be guilty. Um, Some people have run for president from prison before in American history, like Eugene Debs, the socialist. but I I can't really imagine Trump wanting to give up the luxuries of Mar-a-Lago or his New York apartment to go to jail, so I don't think he's going to plead guilty. But. What Trump has done, as he did on January 6th, is try to make other people guilty of things by stoking and encouraging violence at this arraignment in Miami today. Now, when Trump was charged with those New York crimes earlier this year, there was very little chatter on pro-Donald Trump message boards or internet forums about actually turning up to do something about it. But there have been many, many people Who have been writing, you know, threatening violence, talking about buying ammunition, talking about how this now is war on these Donald Trump message boards and the places on the internet where the MAGA crowd gather. So we have to be extremely nervous, actually, about violence either in the courtroom or outside the courtroom today and on future occasions. This rhetoric is being shamelessly stoked by Republican politicians who, likewise, are calling this a tremendous overreach of state power who likewise are claiming that Joe Biden is just trying to persecute his political opponent by bringing this case against Donald Trump. Of course, Joe Biden had nothing to do with bringing this case against Donald Trump. It is a decision by an independent special counsel. But Republicans and conservatives will do everything they can to try to portray this as a deliberate act by the Biden administration, by the FBI, by the Justice Department to persecute Donald Trump. and kind of rhetoric has a very, very strong possibility of ending in violence, ending in people being killed, ending in scenes like we saw on January 6th in 2021. So we have to really worry about this. We have to, you know, keep an eye out for the possibility of continued violence and just pray that it doesn't happen. Republicans in Congress are also promising to launch an investigation of this investigation. So they're claiming that this is a weaponization of the federal government, that it shows that the FBI and the Justice Department just do whatever the Democrats tell them to do, that they're persecuting conservatives and Republicans, and congressional Republicans are promising to take action to try to stop this. Now, we don't know how far that will go, but they obviously are very incentivized to follow that as far as possible. It would really, really help them if they could delegitimize this investigation, if they could make out that Trump really did nothing wrong, and convince their own base and maybe some other people that this is indeed just a kind of persecution of Donald Trump. It's also been interesting to see how this plays out in the Republican primary. So you've seen some of Trump's primary challengers criticize him for his behavior here, criticize him for the ways that he obviously was very, very neglectful in his management of this classified information. But you've also seen a lot of candidates defend him, or if not defend him, rather change the subject and turn it into a criticism of the Biden administration or accuse the FBI and the Justice Department of double standards. You know, by saying, well, Hillary Clinton wasn't prosecuted for her email server, Joe Biden and Mike Pence weren't prosecuted for the fact that they also had some classified information. The difference there, of course, is that they volunteered to give the information back immediately as soon as they found out that they had it. Whereas Trump, even after being told that he had it, engaged in this criminal conspiracy to hide that information and not give it back to the government. So even though there are no, you know, there's no substance in these charges of hypocrisy, that's something that Republicans would much rather talk about than talk about what Trump is actually accused of. My reading is that you just see reflected here the basic problem that all of these other primary candidates have in this primary, which is that in order to win, They have to take away some of Donald Trump's supporters from him. But Donald Trump's supporters actually really like Donald Trump. They don't want to hear him criticized. They don't want to hear bad things about him. So, as long as Trump is in the media and in the headlines doing controversial things, it's actually very hard for his challengers to ever really make the case for themselves because they're just forced constantly to talk about the things that Trump is doing. And when they do that, they can't even criticize him too directly. The because that's not what his supporters and what many Republican primary voters actually want to hear. So criticizing Trump doesn't get you anywhere. Not criticizing Trump doesn't get you anywhere either, because then you're just not making the case for yourself. You know, you're not giving people a reason not to just vote for Trump again. So there's really no good way for Trump's opponents to handle this. And I don't think that it helps them at all, actually, to have this in the news. For every single day that the news cycle revolves around Donald Trump, that's a day when his opponents are not able to make any sort of progress in their own campaigns. So hey, that was my unpacking of the consequences of this legal case against Trump and and some talk about the details of it. Of course, we're going to be following these various indictments. I think that we're going to have more entries in this genre of Trump indictment episode later this year. So please join us for those. And in the meantime, thanks a lot for listening. And please again, consider checking out our newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes and enjoy that 15% discount. Okay. So thanks everyone. And I will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to America Explained, which is brought to you by host Andy Gorforth and researcher, editorial assistant, and sometimes co-host Catherine Wood. If you like America Explained, please consider checking out our free newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes. That's all for this episode, and I look forward to speaking to you next time.